Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good evening. Thank you. I'm Robbie Itterberg. I'm the other pastor here, and it is Lent, and so that means it is time for the Red Letter Challenge. And so if you're new with us, we're going to help you understand what that means. If you're not new with us, and that's a surprise, then you've been sleeping for the last few weeks, and that's okay. I hope you got great rest. But now you can wake up, and we can jump into this challenge together. The Red Letter Challenge The red letters refers to those versions of the English Bible where the words of Jesus that are captured in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those those biographers of Jesus' life and ministry, the words of Jesus are printed in red so they pop off the page so that we can really lean in to what Jesus has said, what he has taught, so that we can ultimately, in this challenge, not just hear it, but put it into practice. That's what we want to do over the course of this Lenten season. And it starts by following a book that's called The Red Letter Challenge. It was referred to earlier. We still have a few left, just a few though. So if you have not gotten your copy, you can still in the Welcome Center. They're $20. And each day there is a reading from Jesus, leaning in to hear from his words, and then a very practical everyday challenge for you to try it, put it into practice. What did Jesus teach? And then do it. Day one of the readings, you may have already started and that's okay, but day one as a whole church is going to be Monday the 7th. Started, you haven't missed anything, and that may be a little confusing for you because Lent is 40 days, there's 40 days of readings, and you know that Lent started on Wednesday, and so that may really be confusing, but it's, it works, believe me. Because in Lent, historically, the church has not counted Sundays as a part of the Lenten season. And so that means, you know, Sunday has, has been known as the Lord's Day. It's a day of rest. It's a day of celebration. It's a feast day. So all of those fasting types of things that people have done through Lent didn't make sense on a feast day. And so there's actually more than 40 days on our calendar, but it, it lines up well. Start your readings on Monday. That's the bottom line of that whole thing, right? So that we're all on the same page going together, starting with day one. Small groups that you just heard about, some reasons folks are seeking to jump into a small group so that they can hear from Jesus well, learn the Bible more, do that together, grow together, learn how we can love and bless and serve our community together. If you want to be a part of a group, you still can. Groups started Thursday, Friday, and even this morning. There's another group starting on Monday through Zoom, if you're interested in being a part of that. If you want to be a part of a group, it's okay if you already missed the first day. Jump in for the rest of the time, and it will be a blessing to you and to so many others. There's also a a weekly email that's going to go out. If you want to be on that email list specifically, you can go to pctr.org slash redletter, and you can sign up for that email list, and there'll just be more things to encourage you along the way. The big question, maybe for all of us as we jump into this, is why? Why are we doing this? Why would we set out to, you know, jump into a challenge? Why would we set set out to try to do something every day for 40 days? Why would we try to get organized as a whole church to try to do this together? 
And I guess, let me, I'll, I'll let you know maybe through this comparison. Do you remember the, when they rolled out, Burger King rolled out the Impossible Whopper? You know what I'm talking about? The Impossible Whopper is the, the Whopper, but it's, it's all plants, all plant-based. And as they rolled it out, they, they put all sorts of people on their commercials, real people who were eating these Impossible Whoppers, and then they, you know, told them that they had pulled the bait and switch and they couldn't believe it because they couldn't tell the difference between the real Whopper and these fake Whoppers. And so their minds were blown and one guy says, I'm having to reevaluate my entire life. So I'm not a, I'm not a believer. I'm just going to tell you that. I feel like I would know. Like it just feels, and maybe not, I, I mean, I could be, I could be, you know, taken advantage of, I'm sure. And it would feel that way for sure. But it's kind of like this. Why would we follow you? Because we want the real thing. Now, you might be vegetarian, and you're like, yeah, that Impossible Whopper, that's a great idea. That's okay. But I want the real thing. I want a cheeseburger. I want it to be a cow. And I want to enjoy that. Because it's one of God's wonderful gifts to humanity. And so, I want the real thing. And in doing this Red Letter Challenge, we want the real thing. We want the real thing, the real, authentic discipleship relationship with Jesus, the authentic life of faith, following after him. We want the real thing, and we want to be a part of the real thing. Not just to hear what Jesus has to say, and then walk out the door and ignore it, or forget about it, but to take it seriously, to follow it. We don't want to just be folks who, who gather together and have a, a warm, fuzzy experience when we gather for worship and then walk out the door and conduct our lives whichever which way we have in the past. We want to be those who say, if you're saying yes to Jesus, that means your whole life is a yes to Jesus. It means when we gather here, it means when we go to school, it means when we go to work, it means when with our family, even with the in-laws, not just your side of the family, it's like we really mean to say yes to Jesus with everything that we are. And we want to, we want to be the real deal. And not just for ourselves, but for the world that's watching as we live out our faith. And so we're going to step into this challenge this evening talking more about why. Where, do, where does this come from? Where's the motivation come from? Why would we do this together? And we're going to hear directly from the words of Jesus to help frame this up for us. And so we're going to read from John chapter 14. If you want to follow along on the screen, you can. But listen, these are, these are those red letters. They're black on the screen, but they're red in some versions. So these are the words of Jesus. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and, my, and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. 
My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded. Come, now, let us leave. Let's pray as we move into this word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening, this chance to gather together. Thank you for this challenge that's been put out there for us, for us to respond to. This evening, will you speak to us so that we could be launched into this next 40 days with with a renewed sense of focus, of passion, a confidence of you being at work within us and through us? God, will you draw us near in these next moments as we hear from you? In Jesus' name, amen. So the Red Letter Challenge, as we heard here, is all about hearing from God. It's about hearing God's word spoken into our lives, and what Jesus says so clearly in this passage is that when he speaks, the words he speaks are actually the words of the Father, because he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. You got, you got to read this kind of slowly because sometimes it gets a little confusing as he says that, but he's saying, hey, I am in the Father. He's in me. Jesus is making a very clear declaration in this moment that he is, in fact, div- divine. It's not just that, hey, I'm a really good teacher. You should listen to me because I've got some good things to say for your life. He's making the claim that he is God. He is in God. God is in him, that they are one. And so when he speaks, you hear the words of the Father speaking. And so when we lean into this red letter challenge, we lean in with that conviction that what Jesus says is what God says to us. And we want, we want to follow that because ultimately, does not the maker of us know what's best for us? You know, we, we wouldn't look for the instructions on how to use our oven by, by going to a manual for a curling iron, right? They'd start similarly. He, you heat them both up, you get them preheated to the temperature you want, but then you take one and you press it into your hair, and the other one, I don't think that's gonna work very well on your breads, right? Like, like we wouldn't look to that manual for something that somebody else made. In the same way, we wouldn't look anywhere else other than to the one who made us to help us understand what's best for us, how life is intended to work, the way we can live that out. And so we have this conviction that when we follow Jesus's words, it's actually going to be the best way to live, the way that comes from the one who made us. And so the one who made us knows what's best for us and knows how life is intended to work. And so we come with that conviction that, that as we listen, we're actually going to find the words that are going to lead us to the best, the fullest life. Earlier in, in the book of John, Jesus makes a, a very hard teaching about himself, and it causes, it's similar to this, but it causes all sorts of people to leave 
They just turn their back. They can't handle what Jesus has said. And Jesus asks the disciples, hey, are you gonna leave too? And they make this very clear and simple declaration of faith. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we come with the same conviction that we're gonna follow, try to, try to put Jesus' words into action because these are the words of eternal life, of a rich and full and wonderful life as God designed us to live. And so, we're gonna listen for these words. And then Jesus says so clearly, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you love me. Really, the motivation for this challenge comes also from our love for Jesus. You know, it's it, very tempting to just make it about our obedience, but the obedience actually, Jesus says, it flows from our love, be, and we know this makes a lot of sense because love isn't love without action, is it? Without real response. Putting, not just putting words out there, words can be beautiful and they can be fluffy and they can you know, make you feel warm and tingly, but man, there's a major disconnect if those words don't also have some sort of action that backs it up. You know, if that declaration of love says you're the most important person to me in my life and then you spend no time with them, you don't talk to them, you ignore them, there's kind of a disconnect, isn't there? And so we know intuitively and in our relationships that love demands action that aligns with the words. And so we want in this next 40 days to perhaps in a way that's been greater than ever in our lives, to actually bring alignment to our words and our actions. So that we're taking seriously, oh, okay, yes, I love you, Jesus, is great to sing, but now I wanna show it, I wanna do it, I wanna put it into action. Because the sincerity of our love is, or the, you know, that sincerity of our love is seen in the sincerity and the completeness of our obedience. You know, if, if we're making that same declaration, you're the most important person to me, and we spend a little time, well, that says a little something. We spend a little more time, right? We can measure some of that in this internal reflection and proportion of our love. It reminded me of that story that we read from Genesis chapter 29 earlier that Pastor Christian read for us. Story of, of Jacob and, and Laban. And Jacob falls in love with, with Rachel and he's desperate to, to marry her and he goes to her father and says, hey, what's it gonna take to make this happen? And he says, all right, here's the deal. You work for me for seven years and then, sure, you can marry her. I mean, this incredible, and, and culturally we may be offended because of, of the, the mechanics of this. And, and so I just want, want to kind of look past that for a minute and we can break that down another day, another message. But this was the reality of the bride price at the time. It was a huge amount. It was a giant ask for Laban to say seven years worth of life and work. And Jacob, okay, I'll do it. It wasn't, I, I love her, yeah, but man, that's too much. No, no, I really love her. Let's negotiate it down. I love her about one year's worth. It's kind of crass, isn't it? He didn't even bat an eye. We don't get a negotiation here. He serves out the seven years and we're told that it flew. Seven years was like nothing because of the intensity of his love for her. The action of working and serving at somebody else's you know, command was no big deal because he had his eyes on the prize and the prize was the one that he loved. And the same is true in this challenge that we want our eyes to be on the one that we love. 
We don't want it to be on the command itself. We want it to be on the one that we love because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. We want the obedience to come out of an overflow of our love rather than this kind of mm, white knuckle kind of, okay, I gotta just push through this and be obedient kind of challenge. It's not about winning this challenge. Now, for some of you, I know that's really hard to hear. Maybe some of me, that's really hard to hear because I like to win. And some of you like to win. And we all like to win more than lose, but some of us really like to win and maybe even hate to lose more than we like to win, but that's another issue. But this challenge is not about winning. It's not about making sure we get to check that box every day for 40 days. Because if that's what it becomes about, then it's about me. It's about me feeling great about me. It has very little to do with my love for Jesus keeping our eyes on the one that we love. If, if it's about that 40 days of me winning and checking the box, then I'm going to be loving me pretty well. But am I going to be loving Jesus? And along this way, we want to invite us, we want to invite you to express your love for Jesus through your obedience. But I want to acknowledge that obedience alone does not necessarily equal love. If we love him, we will obey him. That is absolutely true. That's what he says. It's going to happen. Out of an overflow of our love, obedience will come. But it's not necessarily true the other way around. Because obedience does not necessarily mean love. Matter of fact, in Mark 1, 27, it says this. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? I mean, they were blown away at Jesus because he's going around and he's teaching this powerful authority as if he's speaking the words of God. Oh, wait a second, John just said he was. But they were amazed by this. And he even gives orders, they said, to impure spirits and they obey him. They're acknowledging that the impure spirits, these demons that are at work in the world, will obey the command of Jesus. Do we think that the impure spirits loved Jesus? Do we think that their obedience came out of an overflow of affection, of, of wanting to make sure that Jesus knew that he was the most important person to them in their lives? I think not. They were obedient because they were afraid of him. They were terrified of what he might do. In another instance, as Jesus is gonna cast out demons from this man who, who's demon-possessed by, by hundreds of demons, they, they speak to Jesus through the man, and they say, hey, don't throw us into the pit. In other words, don't, don't annihilate us. Don't, don't send us to where we can never return. They were terrified of him. They said, Let, send us into some pigs, and he obliges. See, they obeyed because they were afraid, and we can do the exact same. You can do what a boss says. You can do what a teacher says. You can do what your parents say, but it doesn't necessarily mean you love them, does it? Not necessarily. It might mean you fear them. Or it might mean you want something from them. You may, you know, if we're honest in our lives, there's been times where, you know, we were obedient to our parents, sure. You know, we, we cleaned up the room, and we, we even went the extra mile. We did the dishes, and we might have even mopped the floor. And we, you know, just kind of gave those subtle hints. Hey, look, look, did you see what I did? You know, it's just because I love you, right? Right. Oh, yeah, and I wanted to go out on Friday night, and do you have a little money? <laughs> right, like, like, like I was obedient, but not necessarily because I, I loved in that moment. 
It was, I wanted something from that. And we can do the exact same things with Jesus. We can do the exact same things with him in our lives. We might be obedient because we fear him. You might have that sense of, if I fail to obey Jesus, then I'm going to hell. And you may have had somebody tell you that very clearly in your life. And so there may have been no no doubt about it. And so so much of your life and your faith and your relationship with God has been about making sure you didn't fail and you were terrified of your failure because that meant you were going to be punished. And so you may have sought desperately to obey, but it came from a place of intense fear of what might happen to you. Or maybe for, for you, it was because you, you wanted something from God. I mean, we don't actually you know, actively acknowledge that, but if we paused long enough, maybe we would see it. Maybe we would see that when it comes to our lives and we think about the reality of an afterlife, of heaven, of what that, that's gonna mean, and we start going, yeah, I'm a good person. You know, I, yeah, I wanna get to heaven, God. So I'm gonna be obedient so that I can get there. Because if I'm not, I'm not, I may not get there, so I'll be obedient so that I can get there, so that I can count on it that I'm a good person, and when the time comes, the, the pearly gates are going to open wide. Or, or maybe it's not about heaven. Maybe it's when you look at your life and you, and you look particularly at your prayers, and, and where you find that you are either frustrated or, or you're consoled, or I think a lot of the time, we look at our prayer life, especially when we're desperately crying out over and over again, and we're pouring our hearts out to God, and we're saying, please, God, I desperately need you to show up in this way with this person in this situation, and when, if that's not answered in the way that we long for it, where does that lead your thoughts? Where does it lead your mind and your heart? I think at times, if we're honest, there's, there's a bit of a resentment in there. God, God, I've been obedient. I've done, I've done my part. I've been good, I've worshiped, I've served, I've given, I've done whatever it is, and you didn't come through for me. I was obedient because I wanted something from you, that when the time came and I needed to call in the favors, the favors were gonna actually come through for me. Or maybe it's just that kind of general expectation that, okay, I'm gonna be obedient so that God will bless and take care of my family so that it's all gonna work out for me in the end. See, obedience, if we're really honest about it, obedience particularly to God may not be because we love God. It may be because we're using God for our own purposes, for our own desired outcomes in our lives. And that doesn't sound a lot like love. I mean, if you applied that to any of your human relationships, you'd know that that wouldn't work. You'd know that that wouldn't be about the other person. It continues to be about love for me. And so as we step into this red letter challenge, it's an invitation for us to examine where's our heart? Do you love Jesus? Is it beyond the words of your mouth? Is it in your heart? Is it in your soul? Is your obedience coming from a place of love? See, and Jesus gives us so much in this passage to help us step into this challenge. Because obedience is hard, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest about it, because obedience often means that I'm having to do something that I don't necessarily want to do. You know, that at least that's usually when I think of obedience. You know, I think of having to be trained into something that is not normal for me. And so that's usually not the things that I'm most happy or excited to go do. 
And so stepping into this challenge, there's gonna be some of these days that are gonna be really naturally easy for you. They're gonna just be like this overflow of joy and it's gonna be fun and you're gonna be like, woo, look, this was a great day. And then the very next day might be one of those days where it's not as natural for you, where it's one of those things that in your heart, man, you know what, this is a place that's still not really formed. This is a place that I'm still holding on to some stuff. This is a place where, where I'm actually still loving myself more than I'm loving you, Jesus. And when we come up against those, the temptation for some of us is gonna to be to quit. And we may get through one of these days and we may not have even tried because the challenge itself just seemed too hard for us. And I just want to encourage you, don't quit. That's a wonderful opportunity to take a look at your heart and a look at your relationship with Jesus and look and, and be able to say, man, there's some stuff in me that I'm still holding on to, Jesus, and I need you. I need you to work in this. I need you to work in this spot. I want to love you more completely, and yet I'm still holding some stuff back from you. And so take the next step forward and keep trying the next day. But Jesus doesn't leave us alone in this. It's not just for you to figure out how to follow him and obey him well. He said very clearly in this passage that, that he's going to leave and that the Father is going to send another advocate in other words, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, God himself, that he's going to not just be with you, but in you. This word advocate has a lot of different nuances to it, but in this moment, we can think of it certainly as helper, as one who comes alongside, comes with us and in us and helps us to actually obey. Jesus says that immediately. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And then the very next statement, he's saying, and my father's gonna send another advocate for you. So he's acknowledging for us that, hey, obeying me is not gonna be easy. It's not the easy road the easier road is to just go with the flow. The easier road is to just do whatever feels good to you. The easier road is just following along with the crowd, with the herd. What's easier is not Jesus's way, but he's saying, hey, I'm calling you to this, and I know you want to love me well, and so here's what I'm going to do. As you step out, you take this risk in this, not, this red letter challenge, Know that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Jesus is with you and is in you. And Jesus said he's there to lead you into all truth and to remind you of everything that Jesus commands. That's part of the Holy Spirit in you. The person of the Spirit speaking to you, knowing you intimately, not just this impersonal force, but the person of God in the Holy Spirit within you. And that's so important because that person means there's a personal relationship where God is knowing you. The Holy Spirit knows you as a person knows you and knows what you need to hear and knows how to speak to you in your particular circumstance, your particular situation, in the things that are easy for you or the things that are harder for you when it comes to this challenge and can speak the words of encouragement, the words of comfort, the words of conviction, the words of inspiration, the words of motivation, whatever it whatever it is that you need to take the next step, to seek to love Jesus more completely, to seek to love him with your whole self in every day of this challenge. And so the Holy Spirit comes and moves within your life. And 
in the, in the middle of this passage, Jesus makes this, this comment about the world. He says the world can't see him. You get to see the Holy Spirit. The world can't really see the Holy Spirit. And, and there's this question in there that Judas asks. He says, why are you gonna show yourself to us, Jesus, and not to the world? In other words, he's thinking what a lot of us are thinking. He's thinking, hey, Jesus, if I'm you, here's what I would do. It's implied with this question. You ever done that with Jesus? No, you haven't done that. But I'll, I'll say from my perspective, I've done this. Like if I'm, Jesus, if I'm you, here's what I'd do. You're talking about going away and you're gonna come back, so they don't really understand fully what that means, but they kind of have this sense, maybe it has to do with heaven because he's gonna go to the Father. And So you know what I would do, Jesus? I would come out of heaven and I would come like blazing fire and I would come and I would show everybody that this is me. Check me out, obey, submit, bow your knee because I am amazing and powerful and you are not. And so that's how we would do it, Jesus. You know, let the world see you for who you really are. Because if you did then, then they'd obey. It's always about them, right? It's not about me. And Jesus doesn't really head-on answer the question, but he goes on to say, in, in this passage, he goes on and he says, yeah, but here's the thing. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anybody who loves me, my Father is gonna love them and I'm gonna come to them and make my home in them, but anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So in this, he's acknowledging, hey, those who don't love me, I'm not gonna show up to them because they're not gonna obey me because they love me. And that's what God's intent is for our lives, is an obedience, not just because we're terrified of the creator and the judge and the king of the universe, but because we love him. And he's saying, I'm gonna show up to those who love me because they're gonna obey my teaching. They're gonna be able to see me. They're gonna hear from me. They're gonna follow me. The rest of the world, they're not gonna obey. They're not gonna follow. They're not gonna love me. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus said so clearly as we started this passage, when you hear from me, you hear from the Father. Right, remember that? When you hear me speak, those are the Father's words because I'm in the Father and he is in me. But Jesus then says later that as we obey him, we'll realize that he is in the Father and the Father is in him and that he is in us. In other words, when people start to see us as we lovingly obey Jesus, they're gonna start to see and hear Jesus. They're gonna start to see and hear the Father. They're gonna to start to see and hear the God who loves them and rather than forcing their submission by gloriously arriving from heaven in a flaming ball of fire or with lightning, they're gonna see a people who are transformed with the love of God and are going out into the world to represent his character beautifully. See, that's, that's the other piece of what this challenge is about is that the world that can't see him directly because they can't love him will see him indirectly through you and through me, will see our lives transformed and changed, and then may in fact become curious about what is going on in your life. And if we radically follow Jesus the way this challenge is inviting us to, the world is gonna see something different in us. I think you're gonna find that in these 40 days. Because 
in these 40 days, I think you and I are gonna be challenged and we're gonna be changed and we're gonna be transformed and we're gonna become more like Jesus. Man, I hope so. I am praying that actively for you. Praying that actively for me. That we would become more like Jesus and that the world that looks at us, that our neighbors, our family members, that those in our community will see something completely different in us than whatever the world is offering them. But this is not what folks that are outside of the church are seeing right now when they look at churches in America. This is not at all what they're seeing. Consistently, over the last 15 years, the surveys of those who are not church, who are not a part of churches, who may have been a part of churches and then left churches, or may not have been a part of a church at all, the general perspective in America of churches is that we are hypocritical, that we are judgmental, that we are homophobic, that we are boring, that we're more interested in our traditions than we are in the needs of people, that this is the perspective of the world looking at the so-called followers of Jesus in America. Does that represent the character and the heart of Jesus as you know him? I think we're gonna find through these readings, through this 40 days, that we're gonna be exposed to the character and the heart of Jesus, maybe in ways that are going to challenge you, are going to awaken something in you, are going to inspire you, are going to make you go, what, I didn't know that. But I also hope and believe that it's going to bring, as we come closer to him, as his Holy Spirit works in us, as we respond lovingly and obediently, also a transformation that the people in your life are going to actually notice. And they're going to see in you not what they think they see when, the, when they think of, of the church in America. They're going to see the character and the heart of Jesus on display. That's my longing is that we together as PCTR, as this community of faith, that we will shine like the light of the world that Jesus says we are, like a city on a hill, that we will shine not with a light that says, hey, look at us, we're really great, but that we will shine with the character and the light of Jesus himself as we love him by obeying him desperately. But I do believe that it's gonna take some transformation. That some things are gonna have to shift within our hearts and our souls. And we're gonna come face to face with some of those things in these coming days. Some of those places that are still hardened in us, maybe where we are harboring judgment. Maybe where we do have a hypocrisy to us. Where we do have something that we're not willing to yield and surrender over to God. And I I believe that something's gonna have to change in our hearts, not just in our actions. This is one of the temptations with this challenge, is just to make it about our outward actions, about our performances, about the boxes that we do check or we don't check. That's not what Jesus is asking for. He wants something of our hearts. He wants us to shift. But see, here's the thing. Obedience and following the commands of Jesus alone are not gonna change our hearts, are they? I mean, because, I don't know about you, I've had lots of commands that I've known what to do with in my life, but it hasn't necessarily changed something within me to change my desire, or neither often has it changed my behavior. I think think about simple things like, you know, growing up, I knew I should clean my room. 
You know, I, I knew that I shouldn't just let things pile up. I knew I shouldn't, you know, when cleaning day came, cram as much as I could into the closet and shut the door. And then, you know, next time I needed something out of the closet, it all came spilling back out. Like, I, we know this, but does it change our behavior? What else in your life can you think of that you know that doesn't necessarily change your behavior? I mean, we know a lot about what's healthy and unhealthy to eat. We know a lot about what's healthy and unhealthy that we should be doing but it doesn't necessarily change our actions or our behaviors because something within our heart needs to change, our values and our priorities. I needed to learn to dislike the disorder and the clutter and the filth of my room more than I liked my laziness, right? I needed to actually realize that girlfriends would find my space disgusting, <laughs> right? There was, a, there was a value proposition in my heart that needed to change that then actually changed something of my outward actions, right? Because the command, keep your room clean, not really compelling, but there was an affection perhaps greater than my room, a girlfriend perhaps, that could actually change then the values of my heart and then the behaviors. And in the same way, in these 40 days, I think you're going to be invited to see some things shift and change in your heart and your soul to have an affection greater than those things that you're holding on to now. An affection greater than the affection perhaps for yourself, for your sense of comfort, for the ways of living that you've had in the past, for whatever it is. An affection greater than. An affection for Jesus himself as you hear from him so clearly. This same Jesus that in this passage, at the very end, in, in those last couple verses says, here's the thing. I'm not gonna say much more to you. In other words, he's like, you know what you need to know. Doesn't that sound right? We know the commands. You know what, so many of us know what we need to know, but something needs to change and move in us. He says, I don't have much more to say to you. For the prince of this world is coming. I mean, he's saying, Satan is on the move. The one who wants to destroy or steal Jesus' kingdom, the one who earlier he said is, is like a sheep stealer who comes to steal, kill, and destroy that one, he says, he's on the move. And, and actually, just one chapter earlier, in chapter 13, verse 27, it said this, it says, as soon as Judas, this is Iscariot, took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. See, Jesus knows that the enemy of the kingdom of God and the enemy of your heart and your soul was on the move. And he knows that he's gonna go to betrayal. He knows that he's gonna be arrested. He knows there's gonna be a trial filled with false witnesses. He knows that Pilate is ultimately, ultimately going to condemn him to keep the political peace. He knows that he's gonna undergo beatings. He knows he's gonna have a crown of thorns on his head. He knows that there's gonna be spitting and mockery. He knows that there's gonna be a brutal crucifixion and he is going to die a ghastly death. He knows all of that and yet Jesus says in, in our passage, he has no hold over me but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus knows what he's going to endure, but he says all of this is gonna happen so that the world may learn how much I love the Father. My greatest affection is for the Father, not even for my own personal safety protection agenda. To fully love is what he's showing. 
to give that sincere obedience, not reluctant obedience, not begrudging obedience, but that wholehearted, willing obedience that Jesus demonstrates. And it wasn't that he couldn't have questions or a desire that it would go somewhat differently. If you recall, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane on that same night, and he asks his disciples to pray with him, and he goes and he prays to the Father, Father, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to achieve your goals, your ends, then let's do that because I don't want to die. I don't want to endure this. I don't want to have to go through all that Satan has in store for me. I'd rather not if there's another way. And yet, he says, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, and I love you more than I love even my own life. And so your will be done. I will obey you even to death and death on a cross. See, Jesus is showing us what that looks like to love. To love is to be obedient to the one who has his greatest affection. And Jesus ultimately loved the Father more than life itself and was willing to be obedient so that you and I, in our failure, in our sin, in our self-absorption, in those hardened places in our hearts and our lives that are not surrendered to him, in those places where we're still judgmental, hypocritical, so that those would not disqualify us from a, a relationship with our Father who loves us. He gave himself so that we could have the love of the Father. We could have the gift of his Holy Spirit to help us to shape us and transform us so that we could love Jesus through our joyful and willing obedience. And not just in these 40 days, though this is a great place to start, but forever, for a lifetime. So that when the world looks at you and looks at me, they'll actually see Jesus. Friends, when we come to this table these are all the symbols. This is the reality of what we experience at the table. That we celebrate at this table Jesus saying yes to the Father. Jesus saying, yes, I love you, Father, even more than life itself. We see what Jesus endured so that we could know we are loved by the Father. When we come to remember this, I invite you to think vividly on what Jesus went through for you. Because as we understand his incredible love for the Father that was then expressed as love for us on the cross, then perhaps our hearts will move and we can obey the one that has our greatest affection with joy and willingness and we can become like Jesus. As we prepare, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your love for us was so profound that you sent your son to die in our place. Jesus, we thank you that your love for the Father was greater than your own self-preservation and that your love for the Father meant you also love us, that you willingly endured the cross and all of the brutality. Lord God, we acknowledge as we step into this challenge, we want to love you with more than words. 
We wanna say yes with more than words and yet think if we're honest, also acknowledge some trepidation, some fear, some, some places where we know are not given over to you, some concern of our failure, of being unfit for this challenge and really for this life with you. Lord God, in this moment, hear our silent confession where we know there are places that are not handed over to you and also what we fear in these days of this challenge. Hear us as we pray. And Father, as we come to you at this table, ask that by your Holy Spirit that you have promised is with us and within us, we would be united with Christ. That it would be him in you and him in us, that we would be united with you. That we would know your incredible and profound love for us, that we could love you in word and in action and obedience. Spirit, meet us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, this is not my table. This is not the Presbyterian Church's table even. You don't have to be a member here to receive, but if, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted that he has died the death that was yours to die so that you could know the love of the Father, that you could be forgiven, that then you could respond lovingly and obediently, then you are welcome to receive his grace this evening. On that night, that same night that we just heard this passage, Jesus took the bread from the table and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat it, remembering me. Friends, you should have received the prepackaged elements on your way in. I'll invite you to open the, the bread side of that and just hold it for one moment until everyone has that in their hands and we'll receive that together as we remember that as, as one, we are called the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat, remembering him. And friends, after supper, Jesus took the cup and giving thanks, he poured it out saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink of it, all of you. Whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim our Lord's death until he comes again. As you open the cup side of your elements, invite you to take that as you will, as you're led, remembering your unique and individual connection with God through his spirit within you. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that we can draw near to you. That through the, the gift of Jesus Christ, we can be assured that we are forgiven, 
We can be assured that we are loved. We can be assured that we will never be abandoned or forsaken, but that your spirit is with us and within us. Lord God, I thank you that you have fed us beyond just our body, you have fed our soul. May this be the fuel, the food, that will send us out into these, these 40 days of this challenge. The spiritual nourishment of remembering how profound your love is for us, that it would give us a sense of that greater affection, that we would be attached more to you than to ourselves, than to anything else, that we would lovingly obey you. It's in Jesus' name that we trust and we pray. Amen. Amen.